Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 412 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, April 3rd, 2022, and this is the sad but proud episode. We come to you after Duke's run in the 2021-2022 season ends in the Final Four with an 81-77 loss to North Carolina. It marks the final game in the legendary career of Coach K. We will discuss this game in full by first doing the intros. I am Donald Wine, your host for this episode. I got back to D.C. yesterday after an incredible week in Doha, Qatar. I was there for the World Cup draw. Uh, It was a 15-hour flight and 19 hours in airports to get back here to D.C. in time to watch the game. However, I did not have the best experience in watching this game. Uh, the, The podcast was represented very well in New Orleans as both Jason Evans and Sam Klein were at the game. And right now, I'm going to turn it over to them because they are both at a coffee shop somewhere between New Orleans and, and Atlanta. So, Sam, I will go to you first. Where are you guys in the world? Uh, Donald, it, it, first of all, it's great to see and hear from you again because we've been, we've been separated for so long, and it feels like so much has happened in Duke World like since the, for sure. since the time that we were all um, – since the time that we were all doing this together. This morning, I'm, I'm sitting here next to Jason. We're having uh, tea and bagels at a delight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this place a full endorsement. <laughs> we are we are at we are at the Carpe Diem Coffee and Tea Company in Mobile, Alabama. We are about two hours from New Orleans. We left early this morning because um, I have a flight to catch this evening in Atlanta, and it's and it's a longer drive I think that we gave ourselves credit for. So we stopped along the way. We found a place that has good Wi-Fi, and we can sit outside. And it's a beautiful day. And uh, I don't think we're bothering anyone, at least not terribly to bring you this episode and we're eating our bagels and then we're about to get into what looks like an insanely delicious yeah don, 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 I, I need your reaction i need your reaction i'm putting it on camera now here's the cinnamon roll we're about to eat what, what do you think oh man? it looks good for those for those out there it's a very big cinnamon roll um <laughs> please please describe it for the listeners <laughs> yes uh but i will ask you guys because i've made this drive before many many times from atlanta through Alabama, through Mississippi, to New Orleans. Why are you in Mobile, Alabama? Because the best route would take you through Montgomery and then up probably uh, through Birmingham, at least, to get you uh, into Atlanta. So is there a reason why you guys took the Mobile route, or is, is that the, the preferred route for... No, I've, I've, I've driven this several times. Yes, we will, we will eventually go through Montgomery as well. There, there, there are a couple different ways you can go. This is how Waze usually takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you come through Montgomery and then down to Mobile and then across I-10. Like people need these directions. And so, you know, what, what oh, going you're to- going through Florida and coming back up is what you're doing. No, 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 no. no. You get off 10 and get on to 65 in Mobile. So we just got on 65, right. which takes us to Atlanta. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I take 55 to 65. That takes you up to uh, Birmingham. This is the most- we, we don't we don't need people do not need this part of the Except this is, hey, this is what hey, I- this, that, that's my neck of the woods, man. I, I, I used to drive those roads thoroughly but this um, is what yes this is what old this is what old men talk about is the this is, is not the triple a triptych podcast uh but if there was i would be i would be the star can i can podcast. i guest host the triple a triptych podcast that'd be you, super you sure fun. can i love you that. sure can um but so we're going to get into the game but before i get into the meat of the game i just want to go back to both of you because like i said you both were in new orleans last night you both were at the game uh sam i believe you're with your dad at the game if, if memory serves correctly um yes. but 
Are we going to tell what the was it story? Like? No, I'm, t- I'm, I'm doing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, take, take us through wherever you want to go. What was it like being in New Orleans? Give me the scene, the vibe, Bourbon Street, all the Duke fans that were there for the game, just the atmosphere. What was it like to be in the arena for the game? Well, Donald, we didn't, uh, <laughs> normally we, we go over this ahead of time. I was thinking we would do all the game, like all the in-game stuff, and then we could do the atmosphere. But why don't we do the atmosphere stuff first? Because you suggested it. Uh, yeah, I like it was, leading with the positives. So was, we're going to talk a, about the good stuff. It was a scene yesterday and Jason, it, it was cool because Jason and I flew or I flew in on Friday night to Atlanta. Jason and I stayed in Montgomery on Friday night because we wanted to get a couple hours. And then um, we made it to New Orleans around midday on Saturday yesterday. Keep in mind, the first game started at like five o'clock. So we had a few hours before the game and then we separated, which is cool because we both have um, sort of fun stories to yeah, tell about, yeah. about getting to experience it. But the my overall impression is the scene outside inside around the stadium was amazing there were so many people in town all four fan bases were represented it was not just duke and carolina fans that were there and even once the game started i know it was it was a big game and stuff um but even the villanova fans stayed for the duke carolina game like if you're if you're a fan of the the team that loses in the first semifinal to me, like if, if it was if it was Duke playing in the first semifinal and there was another game after it, I don't know that I would stay. I'd be like, this stinks. Our season's over. I'm out of here. But the Villanova fans were there. Everyone was so excited to be in town for this matchup. And of course, New Orleans is is just on a on a different level. Uh, there were some snafus. I heard about snafus from multiple people getting into the city yesterday because there were some flights canceled and um, there was weather in the southeast. But. Uh, for the people that were there, it was electric. There were tons of people walking around and and excited for the game. So it was it was about as cool of an atmosphere as you could ask for. So uh, I was I was impressed with the number of Duke fans. It felt to me like there were more Duke fans than any other fan base. Now part of that was I was sitting in the Duke section, so I saw, you know, I was I was in the midst of all the Duke fans. In fact, one of the great things about doing, being in the Duke section that I was in uh, was that. Uh, the the Duke players, uh, all the all the former players, sort of, Donald, sort of like when you and I were at the game in Cameron, Coach K's final game, th- there were just a myriad of former players that that were just constantly walking. Pe- now, granted, my seat was far behind theirs. <laughs> they they had significantly better seats than I did, but it was fun to just people watch and like Gerald Henderson and Danny Ferry and Billy King. And Mike Dunleavy and Shane, ba- I could go on and on and on. And and I'd say from I was sitting in like neutral seats. I know that I think the last time we podcasted, the story was that Jason and I would be sitting together with um, right, right, with, uh, Mike, with Mike Emmerich. But I ended up our our situation changed, and I can tell this story too because it's a it's a fun part of the saga. But I was sitting in basically neutral seats last night. I'd say that Duke and Carolina had more fans there than Villanova and Kansas did. Even yeah. even when I was there in the first game. And that maybe the Carolina fans outnumbered the Duke fans, but it was pretty close. Like they were oh, both, you think, uh, I, I thought it was like pretty close. Now it's it, the other thing that was hard to tell. And, and I didn't think about this before we showed up. Kansas's colors, other than the red, are very similar to Duke's. Yes. And Villanova's are very similar to UNC's because they wear the Navy. Yeah, and there's a lot of yeah. Navy UNC stuff. So uh, the colors in and the they arena, wear the like, and they wear the light blue as well. And they do wear the light blue. So when you zoom out in the arena, like when you're looking sort of at a, at a macro view, it was hard to set. It's not like when Duke played Wisconsin in the national championship. And you're either and red you could or be blue. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You could be like, it is 70% red and 30% blue. I know exactly what the breakdown is here. In this game, everyone was wearing blue. So it was it was harder to tell. 
So uh, that, first of all, that is just incredible. And, and Jason, I know you were talking to us yesterday about some of the food that you had in New Orleans. Of course, literally New Orleans, top two food place in the world. And it's not two. It is, it is outstanding. <laughs> um, but just the, just the amount of people on social media that were posting pictures at the game, posting pictures in New Orleans. My two best friends were in New Orleans for the game yesterday. I literally was trying to find a flight to get me from Doha to New Orleans for the game. Let me tell you guys, there is no flight on planet Earth that would get me to New Orleans uh, in one day from Doha, Qatar. So uh, that is unfortunate. That's something that would be needs to work out next time I'm in a situation where I need to fly around the world to get to a game. But alas, I ended up watching at the Duke DC bar, which was absolute chaos because it is also a Kansas bar. Uh, so there was a oh lot gosh. of snafus going on. Um, and we ended up finding, like, I got to the bar. I got kicked out of the bar because it was too packed. Then they let everybody in, even though I'd been waiting for an hour to get in. I eventually scurried my way up to the bar and was able to post up for the game. So I was able to watch with some of my good friends uh, for that night. But I happened. need to tell you, Donald, before we talk about the game, about oh, my yeah, go experience ahead. going in. So because I had, <laughs> we had teased this earlier. My So if listeners remember... The plan was that Jason and I were going to go with Mike Hemrick. He had gotten us tickets and that was great. And we gave him, I think, all of his attendant accolades for being such a such a mensch. So two days before the game, my dad, who listeners may know, is is also a Duke alum and is is a big Duke basketball fan, decides like two days before the game. You know what? I'm going. And Sam, you're coming with me like you're going to be sitting with me at the game. So. He bought tickets on StubHub and came to like flew down. Um, we we were sitting with friends, but like during, at the beginning of the Villanova Kansas game, so we were planning to basically get there, get into the stadium at halftime for that game. We go up to the arena, we go through the security, and we scanned our tickets. And they said, "Oh, you're having a problem with the tickets? You got to go to the ticket office because they need to like reprint them for you or something." We went to the ticket office, and as soon as I showed the person at the ticket office the ticket that I was using, she said, those tickets are fake. So we had paid, uh, you know, StubHub prices for what I guess were fake tickets. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the, the moment, Man. the scariest. So that was not actually the scariest moment because I knew, like, people were walking around selling tickets. Um, the, there were definitely still tickets online, like, when I had looked earlier in the day just because I was curious. So I was like, I know we're getting in. It's just, you know, we just got to get tickets from somewhere. I opened up the Ticketmaster app and the ticket ma- and Ticketmaster was like the, the main vendor for the event. The Ticketmaster app said, you can't buy tickets to this. The event has already started. And I was like, oh, no, there are no more online tickets available to buy. We are toast. I opened up the SeatGeek app, created a SeatGeek account because I had never done this before and managed to get two tickets um, and provided that my dad's call with the StubHub customer service account uh, goes well today then we will have actually saved money because it turns out the tickets we bought were cheaper than the ones he had originally purchased. But after all that, we did get in the arena and managed to see the last like 15 minutes of the Villanova game. Yeah. Fascinating um, sort of lesson for everybody out there. And, and maybe we're giving away secrets we shouldn't be giving away, but the reality is if you're willing to risk it and wait till the day of the event, ticket prices plunge. Uh, I, I saw a chart online on Twitter um, from one of these folks who tracks ticket prices of, of what tickets cost to make it to get into the national semifinals. And by se- the peak, the absolute high point, it started climbing 
right around the Sweet 16 and Grade 8, you know, Elite 8, right after the Elite 8 games, that's the peak. That's the highest point of those ticket prices. And then it starts coming down during the week. And believe it or not, by Saturday, by game day, the average price of a ticket was the same price as it was at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. So, you know, essentially you aren't paying any premium for being one of the teams that are actually in the game because people who want to get rid of their tickets are so desperate to get rid of them by the time you hit Saturday. So Jason, I don't need a chart to tell you that, or or anyone out there, you don't need a chart for me to tell you this desperation hits fever pitch about five to 10 minutes before tip off. So if you have tickets in your hand that you were trying to unload five to 10 minutes before tip off desperation overcomes any, any sort of profit that you are willing to make, because at that point, your tickets are now the worth $0 instead of whatever face value is written on them because the game's about to start. That is the best time to try and get a ticket and get into the game. You two would have done great in business school. Like, I know you didn't go, but, but you really would have crushed the, the, whole, the whole ecosystem here. I got my MBA on the streets of hard knocks, I, I guess. That, that's, a, that's a quote. That, I'm, I'm saving that one. <laughs> um, but guys, let's get into the actual game, okay? We're, we're going to save all the other stuff. We obviously are going to have plenty of time to talk about the legacy of Coach K, you know, the, the transition, all the other things in the offseason. But I want to talk about the game, and I will begin with the headlines. And, and as we've had throughout the entire tournament, we've gotten a lot of headlines from different people. I want to read a few of them. Uh, to you first, uh, Isaiah Dicker, um, he, his, uh, uh, his headline was, here's to never forgetting the greatest career in history. Obviously, allude to Coach K. Uh, that, Courtney Kruger. Donald, yeah. pause. Yes. That is an awesome headline. Isaiah is mm-hmm. making a reference because, like, the three of us know what, what this is about. But um, some Duke fans may not realize that this is a reference to Coach K's speech at the end of the, Jason, you're going to correct me if I'm getting this wrong, the 1983 ACC tournament when Duke loses to Virginia. This is yeah, a direct, 40. Yeah. this is a reference. Yeah. Um, I'm, this happened before I was born, but at the end of the 1983 ACC tournament, Duke loses to Virginia, and one of the assistant coaches, as the story goes, one of the assistant coaches stood up. Wait, wait, dinner, Duke, doesn't just, Duke loses by gets, 40. Gets their butts kicked. They lose right? by 40, by, yeah. By Ralph, it's Ralph Sampson's Virginia team. Yeah. Um, and... And after the game, one of the assistant coaches makes some comment like they're they're having a drink or something. Here's to forgetting tonight. And Coach K says, here's to never forgetting tonight. And that was the that that, you know, apocryphally is the is the moment that launched the the 1986 um, final four run. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a really good one. I think that's why I led with it. Um uh, Courtney Kruger, he actually gave us two different headlines. And so I'll read both of those freeze and threes bedevil the D's. Uh, that was a nice, uh, you know, alliteration. Yeah. We have, By the way, that was, all that. that was my favorite. I thought yeah. freeze and threes is the story of this game. Yep. And then he also wrote final four falls four points short for Duke. That is alliteration. That is also a pseudo tongue twister, uh, with all of the F's in there. Um, Nandita Jariwala, I apologize if I mispronounced your name, uh, but just got one in right before we started recording. Big easy, not easy. Heartbreak in NOLA as Shire era begins. And then finally, Jarrett Strauss with one of the quotes that will forever tie in the legacy of Coach K, one that we usually don't like to use because it's usually done after loss. And it is quite simply, next play. Um, well, the, the only thing I would say about that one is the really, the sad thing, the the you know, the headline to some extent extent on this game is that there is no next play for Coach K. 
Um, right. It's, it's all done. And that's, that's, or for that's the, the season. Yeah. As he yeah. would say this season, there's no next play for the season for his right. guys, for this run uh, that we, that we were, that we bore witness to so many, so many times, but uh, I'm going to get to your headlines guys, but I will start with mine. Uh, mine is very simple. Sad. It's all over, but happy. We were able to live it. I mean, I think that's, we'll, we'll obviously talk about a lot of that uh, in the coming weeks, but Jason, what is your headline? Uh, mine was pretty simple. It's just, it wasn't supposed to end like this. You damn right. It wasn't um, Sam. What was yours? In reference to coach K's post-game press conference, which I'm not sure if folks had a chance to hear, and, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit about it, but I had the man in the arena because, because coach K made a reference to uh, Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena speech. Uh, he didn't do it quite as eloquently. I think it was a, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a charged moment. He didn't do it quite as elegantly as, uh, as our, as our late president, but uh, I had the man in the arena and I, w- I would just have a picture of, of coach K standing there looking, looking snarly as he always does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't we get into the good from this game? Because uh, I'll, I'll be honest, guys, when you look at this game, obviously we are looking at it through Duke blue eyes, but if you are a neutral fan of college basketball, that was a game for the ages. That was the, the hype was there. Everything about this game being the first two, you know, first time that Duke and UNC had played together in the NCAA tournament. It was something that I think was an epic game and people will remember it for quite a long time. Unfortunately, we will remember it uh, in melancholy, for melancholy reasons, but I do want to get to the good because I do think there's a lot of good from this game. Jason, I'm going to go back to you. Lead us off with something good from this game that you saw from the Superdome. I think that we saw the Paulo Bancaro that that is very, very much in contention to be the number one pick in the uh, NBA draft and and who will be a, a Duke legend. Um, I think once his NBA career has, has really, you know, blossomed, uh, Paulo absolutely took over at times, looked uh, borderline unstoppable um, with the ball in the post and, uh, and, and was, you know, 20 points, 10 rebounds, uh, shot the ball really well. Look, he, he, he was the only guy in the team. One of the, one of the only guys in the team that, that actually shot well from the perimeter as well. And, and I thought played good defense. There were a number of times in this game where Paulo had to, he had to switch from his usual defensive role of guarding the power forward, which means guarding a guy who's working on the perimeter for the most part, especially um, Brady Manick of, of North Carolina. Paulo had to switch him and was the biggest player on the floor. Duke went small at times because of foul trouble. And Paulo was guarding, uh, Armando Baycott and I thought Paulo did a, a really nice job of that Paulo did a nice job of rebounding in a game where Duke really struggled with rebounding uh, but my, my first good unquestionably was the play of Paulo Bancaro um, I, I wish we had seen this Paulo the guy that goes into the post and abuses his man in the lane um, I wish we'd seen more of this Paulo all year uh, I, I think this game I haven't looked at the shot chart and, and look I'm not in a place where I can call it up very quickly I think Paulo took less of those sort of contested 12 to 18 footers that, that are low, low percentage shots that I hate that he, ta- that he usually takes. And I'm like, okay, we can live with that because he also goes in the lane and gets great shots. I think he, he for the most part, went in the lane and took great shots almost exclusively in this game. And I love that about him. And I love the way he has matured and grown. Um, I feel like I, I especially – have not talked about Paulo enough this year. It's like he was so good earlier in the year that I I focused on other players whenever I'm talking about player of the week and stuff like that. Uh, I, th- I think in this game, we saw how great Paulo Bancaro can be. Jason and I were having a conversation in the car right before this yeah. about 
and and this is something we can have a, a longer discussion about during the off season because it's a fun topic. But we were kind of talking about the historical one and done performances by all these Duke players, and Duke has had a, a lot of these guys from from you know if you if you say it's like starting at the Kyrie Irving era or even at, at Luol Deng or even as far back as as uh, Corey Maggette, but like starting at, at at Kyrie Irving, there have been so many of these guys: Jabari Parker, Austin Rivers, Marvin Bagley, Brandon Ingram. This the list goes on and on and on, and. I, I think we're we're like in a way sort of numb to it at this point that to your point, Jason, we didn't appreciate just how advanced Paulo Bancaro's game was yeah. this season at, at certain points this season. Cause we'd be like, Oh, the, the player of the game was AJ Griffin or the player of the game was Mark Williams or Trevor Keels or Jeremy Roach, whoever Wendell Moore, but Paulo Bancaro was the best player on the team. And, and he consistently demonstrated that throughout the season. Yeah, I agree. I thought he played tremendous last night in, I think when it comes to him, like the he took advantage of the biggest stage, right? In college basketball, the biggest stage is the Final Four. He played like Jason, like you said, a guy who knows he can be one of the top picks, if not the top pick in next year's NBA draft. And he really, really showed out in that regard. I thought he did great there. I think also what Duke did well more than anything is points in the paint. They owned the paint. It was 40, they scored 48 points in the paint. It seemed like even when the three wasn't falling, they were able to go through and get into I'm the. I'm sorry, Donald. You said points. even you said even when the three wasn't fall. When did the three fall? <laughs> we had a we had a couple three pointers. Yeah, right. There were, five, there were five. There were five. There were five that we made. Um, some Ugh. came late. It felt. It felt. Yes, we'll get to those struggles. But Ugh. really, I mean, there have been times where we have struggled in the paint, and that has cost us basketball games. Last night, the paint was what kept us in the ball game and getting to the, getting to the rack. Being on, on offense, I, I want to qualify on this. offense. Yes, on offense because on, on on defense, especially defensive rebounding, we're going to talk later. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we'll talk again. We'll talk about the bad stuff. Focus on the, focus on the positives, Jason. We were really good in the on offense in the paint. We had a lot of dunks. I, I think for for the amount of time, I know Mark Williams and Theo John because of foul trouble didn't have a lot of time in the game. But when they were in the game, they were very active on offense. We saw a lot of dunks. We saw that nice little uh, under the under the uh, basket lay in from Wendell Moore. We saw dunks from Paul. That, that, we that saw, Wendell Moore shot was was pretty. Was, I thought like was very man, if he's if he's doing stuff like that. How come there were so many moments when I thought, how could we lose when when all these great things are happening on offense? Yeah. And we took care of the basketball guys like four turnovers. Those yeah, are four turnovers is impressive. Season. Yeah. That was the lowest uh, number of turnovers we had on the season. And I think three of them were in the first like five minutes of the game when it was really, really tight. And everybody felt kind of, you knew that and, both and teams Duke were wasn't, being tight. If Duke wasn't turning it over, they were, they were apparently committing fouls for the first five minutes of the game. Exactly, it was right. just right. fouls. Yeah. So, Sam, I'll go to you. Uh, give me some other uh, good that you had from this game. Yeah, on, on that topic of, of great offensive performances, not that he shot quite as well from the perimeter, but Trevor Keels, 30 minutes, and and was really efficient from inside managed to get to the rack a lot last night and and in those moments it's the same story i think as with paulo where when he decided i'm getting to the hole he did it and he and was he, six of seven on two point did, shots yeah. and, and and all those shots again haven't looked at the shot chart maybe jason if you want to if you want to click over to the shot chart for a second but like i think they were all at the rim um and not just from the ground i mean at the rim trevor keels was getting was getting to the rim uh, be it Armando Baycott, Brady Manick, whoever the guys couldn't keep uh, couldn't keep the Duke's guys out of the out of the lane, and and thirty minutes for Trevor Keels on a night where Duke had foul trouble. Really have to remember the context of Keels is still you know 
recently on the bench, recently relegated to out of the starting lineup and and recovered from that with with just great maturity. He really showed that um, that, he, that he's made a lot of strides even in the last few weeks. I think we assume that that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season. We don't know exactly what what everyone's doing, but assuming that he leaves, uh, I think we he's can still, be- uh, he is he's he is the guy for the most part that most people say is sort of 50 50 and could come back. And um, but it, my point being that if he yeah. does decide to leave the the progress that he made in the last few weeks gives me a lot more confidence that he's yeah. going to excel in those workouts that are coming up for him over the next few months as he prepares for the draft and this lasting image, right? Like if you think about it going out with the, with the performance that he had last night, that's the lasting image that you'll see of him in a college basketball uniform. If he does decide to turn pro. And he said in the post-game press conference, how, how much he appreciated, like he was, I I guess he was a Duke fan growing up. Some of these guys, they, they tell the story about how they were Duke fans growing up and you, and you wonder how true it is. So I don't remember. I don't remember when when he committed. If that was part of the narrative, but he said in the in the press conference last night that he was a Duke fan growing up. He always dreamed about about this opportunity, and that you could tell um, that he was feeling he was feeling really emotional about it, and, and that he he clearly put all the effort that he had into last night's performance. Well, there was a there was a great video uh, that I saw on Twitter of after the game. Um, Trevor Keels was crying in the tunnel. Uh, Emil Jefferson was behind him, sort of holding him on the shoulders. And Coach K walked up and gave Trevor Keels a a hug. And, and afterward, you saw Trevor kind of smiling a little bit. Coach K clearly said something to him. We will obviously never know what words Coach K spoke. But, yeah, uh, Trevor Keels was one of the more emotional players last night. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to guess or speculate yet about who's leaving and who's staying. But Trevor helped himself. If, if Trevor's – if Trevor really wants to turn pro, again, the lasting image from this game was was of a player who has the body and the ability to create a shot for himself in the NBA. Absolutely. Um, and Jason, I want to go back to you because we've talked a lot about the offense, and I thought we did a lot of things well on offense, but uh, talk to us about the defense and the things that you saw that were great there. I, I, I thought Duke, for the most part, played really, really good team defense. Uh, Carolina, there were a few occasions where, especially when uh, Mark Williams was out of the game, um, and actually especially when Mark Williams and Theo John were both out of the game, where Duke sort of didn't have a true rim protector in there, where where the Carolina guards were able to get into the lane and get open looks at the rim. Um, But other than those very few fleeting moments, I thought Duke was outstanding on offense. They kept Carolina away from the basket. Carolina was mostly taking contested shots full credit by the way to the unc team especially to caleb love for taking difficult shots and making them um but i thought for the most part duke played very very solid defense and and just forced carolina to play uh an an outstanding game and again full credit to them for for getting to 81 points this this duke played a good enough defensive game to win this game there's no question about that and, and when I look at the 81 that Carolina put up there, I usually 81 would be a lot. I don't feel like that is a number because Duke didn't play good defense. I thought Duke was absolutely good enough on that end of the floor to get a victory. Our problem was on the other I end. I mean, of the floor. how many shots did Caleb Love take where as soon as it, it leaves his hand, you're like, whatever, if that goes in, fine. Like, yeah, like a lot like, of them went like, in, though. Like, <laughs> right. And, and, and that's to your point, right? Is that, is that at a certain 
at a certain point you can't you can't change that but it didn't feel like duke's defensive game plan was wrong yesterday other than i mean if, if you want to move to the bat other than them getting completely burned by the pick and roll at the end for that last three-pointer that really sealed the game for carolina although that so, was again a very contested three-pointer he uh, i i like yeah. I, I felt coming down, and this is one of those. This is one of those moments I feel like that'll live with me. But yeah. but when he when he had the ball, when Love had the ball at the top of the key, I was like, "Here comes the, the screen, and here comes the three pointer from Love. Get him off of the like, send him anywhere other than the three point line." And no, they failed that. <laughs> Donald, I, I I get we're we're clearly transitioning to the bad, right, my friend? Yeah, but before we do that, let's let's collect our breath. Let's pause. We're going to take a quick break. And the other side, we'll talk about some of the things that the key details uh, that Lisa was talking about at Duke Wall this morning. But right now, stay tuned. More on the other side. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer. Thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes. Mindless work. Pop it in the microwave. Do what you need to do. And it's ready to eat. No more cooking. No more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. All right, guys, we are back. And now it's time to discuss all of the vegetables that we do not like to eat about this game here again at 81 77 loss to UNC and uh, Sam I'm going to go to you because you kind of started about um, some of the things that happened towards the end of the game that were very frustrating so why don't you take it away and give us something that you saw from this game that meant the difference between us talking about a win and a loss today yeah I mentioned the uh, the the failed pick and roll defense at the end on Caleb Love that is exactly what Carolina did to Duke in the season finale that the two of you attended. And unfortunately they didn't really have to change the playbook much last night. Not as many of the, of the three pointers for them felt as, you know, like it didn't feel like they were as uh, sort of in rhythm, but Carolina was using the pick and roll to, to great effect yesterday. Armando Baycott was getting the ball in favorable position. It's not like he had the most overwhelming, um, overwhelming offensive performance, but, but Caleb Love was able to just do whatever he wanted with the ball and and setting those those high screens, uh, be it Armando Baycott, Brady Manick, even even Leaky Black had set set a couple of those screens other than just hiding in the corner like he usually does. Yeah, uh, uh, that was the that was the killer for Duke. And and I'm 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 a little disappointed 
especially after reading, I don't know if folks got to read uh, the CBS sports piece that Matt Norlander wrote earlier this week about coach K's maniacal uh, preparation for the games. Um, Given all that, I was surprised at, you know, (laughs) having just read that and then going to the game at how poorly Duke defended the pick and roll. Well, but pick and roll is the most basic way of, of running an offense against a man to man for a reason, because it is very successful. It's, it's fairly easy to execute, and it, it is very, very difficult to stop it. Um, I did think on that topic, the fact that and, – and we'll talk about the foul trouble as its own topic, I yeah. think. So Mark Williams gets in foul trouble early in the first half. Coach K makes the decision to leave Theo John in for a long stretch where he ends up getting his fourth foul during the, during the first half, which meant that combined – I think they, they played 28 minutes. Duke spent 12 minutes of this game with Paulo Bancaro – as the as the notional center, which means that we had five perimeter defenders on the court. And if there's one thing you could say about how Carolina really matches up well against Duke, it's that they have all those guys on the perimeter and Mark Williams and Theo John kind of get lost defending on the perimeter. So in a way, I was like, oh, it's a bummer that we don't have Mark Williams on the floor because he's in foul trouble. But on the other hand, if he's not out there, it means that Duke can guard the perimeter one through five. And maybe this is an advantage. And that didn't work out for them. So I- I want to talk a little bit about just the the things that we had at the end of the game, namely free throws. And uh, it's look, it's not about one person. It's not about one thing. But the frustrating part of this is that we were 12 for 20 from the line and we lose by four. If we hit again, we hit half of those free throws. We are at least going to overtime with a chance to win the game or we are in a position where we can win the game. Because if you think about certain stretches of this game, the free throws that we missed kept us either from taking the lead or extending our small league that we did have. And that always changes a lot of what happens, uh, all of the variables that can play out. But I, I think when it comes to Donald, free- if, I, if I, yeah. if I can really quick, the two free throws that Mark Williams missed, and I, and I, I want to be clear, I'm not putting this on Mark. Mark has been a great free throw shooter all year. Even, even JJ Redick, it's possible can step up to the line and miss two free throws. It's not like Mark wasn't prepared or anything like that. It just happens sometimes. But those were unbelievably key because I think that those missing those two free throws allows Caleb Love to take that contested moving three-pointer that he hit. And again, full credit to him for hitting it. But if, if Mark Williams hits those free throws and Duke is up one, Caleb Love doesn't take that shot. He doesn't take that it's shot. A risk, yep. It's a risky shot to take. And he only took it because Carolina had a lead and he said, okay, here's a chance to win the game. And, 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 and he, he won it. You know, it, maybe he thinks I've got a, you know, he's not literally making these calculations, but he's sort of saying to himself, I got about a 25% chance of making this shot, you know, a, a contested three pointer on the move. And we're up one. If I make it, ball game 25%, I'm rolling the dice 25%, we're going to win. And if I miss it, we don't, we're not necessarily losing because we're up one. If they were down one, he does not take that risk, in my opinion. Right. And, and that's what I mean by like every single free throw missed changes the variables it changes the situation that we have and you know even early in the game we had a couple of one you know and ones that we missed uh a front of a a one and one i believe we missed like those are all small things that changes the situation because you make those shots you make those free throws you get another free throw or you have something like again unc doesn't take a shot that they made that they were able to because they felt in the moment that that allowed for it to happen so the free throws, again, we missed eight free throws. If we hit half of them, we're going to overtime. But 
just it seems so frustrating that it came down to that and a team that Jason you mentioned we've shot free throws pretty well all season as a team we end up missing the ones when it matters and and that really and, and to on top of that the gut punch on the other end them turning it into three points in the other and that's a five point swing and with a minute left in the ball game that's a dagger so I, I think that's one of the one the key things that you know we saw and again we saw from some of the headlines a lot of people focused on the free throws in this well donald hand in hand with the free throws to me shots outside of like five feet from the basket i'm, I'm now looking at the duke shot chart and there, there's there's one shot that duke took in the lane like a, a, a 10 or 11 footer um other than th- that was that was uh, ben carroll i think it was ben no, carroll. no 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 it was a, a wendell moore jumper um that he took in the lane i think it was one of those runners yeah um Exactly. Uh, other than that shot, um, uh, Duke did not hit anything outside of about five feet. Um, and, and I'm including free throws for the most part in that. And then, uh, you know, until you get all the way out to the three point line and then at the three point line, Duke is five of 22 from the three point line, which is, uh, you know, abominable 22%. If Duke was merely bad, as opposed to being terrible, if Duke was merely bad from th- like if Duke just hits thirty percent of their threes, which which is well below our season average, um, that's hitting two more three pointers. If Duke just hits two more three pointers, we win the game. It, uh, you know, Duke and Duke. By the way, and we're talking today about well, the whole day is different. But yeah, we're, yeah, we're we're talking about how like Duke survives and they play just well enough to win, and like, wow, this team has the moxie or, or some other story. Exactly. And, and Duke, by the way, didn't take bad three-pointers. Uh, I, I didn't – I don't think I saw – No, they, they – No, uh, they're, they're, the shot selection I thought was really good last night. Duke got, Duke got, got good shots in, in rhythm, and, and guys were, like, stepping into three-pointers. They just weren't falling. To me, this may have been Duke's best game in terms of shot selection. Again, looking at the shot chart, Almost everything is right around the rim or outside the three-point line. Duke took nothing but really efficient, the right kind of shots to take. And yet, despite taking the right kind of shots, we shot terribly. We shot terribly from three. We shot terribly from two. We only hit 41% of our shots. We only hit 22% of our three-pointers. We only hit 60% of our threes. And in a game where it felt like, as we said in the good, when Paulo Bencaro decided to get to the rim, he just He got to the rim, yeah. Yeah, I, he had Brady Manick on. I mean, he was like, I kept yelling this at the bar. I'm sure you guys are yelling in the arena. Like every single time he was in the paint, just take it. It seemed like Brady Manick was on him. I was like, just take it. He's he's yeah, not good. My, and he would get him. And the great thing is, he would get him inside the restricted area, and then he'd turn and go. Well, Brady can't couldn't do anything with me outside the paint. He definitely can't do anything now. And he would go up to the rack. But even with some of those, it felt like even on the offensive end, we had a couple of those where you know Jeremy Roach or, or Trevor Keels or someone would lay it up. And it would roll around the rim and it would just completely fall off just on the other end. And it, again, Maddening. frustrating as hell to see those because they were good shots, good takes to the rim, and just the ball rolls the way that you don't want it to roll. My dad asked me repeatedly yesterday, why don't they just give it to Bancaro and have him go straight at the hole every single time? Like every, Manic, they almost did. Manic, I mean, to some extent, they Manic did. really couldn't stop him. He couldn't stop anybody. Couldn't stop yeah. a nosebleed, but... And then, of course, he gets hot in the second half. And, the, you know, now the story is Brady Manick was on fire in the second half. But I digress. I, I did want to talk quickly about the rebounding because I think, you know, we talked about rebounding being a key. And a lot of the, the momentum killers for Duke was when UNC was able to get offensive rebounds two, three, four at a time. 
uh, on a particular possession. It seemed like at a certain point when they had that 13-0 run, a lot of it was on the back of offensive rebounds where if we had just grabbed the first rebound, a lot of that momentum would have been stifled, but instead they get the momentum by getting offensive rebounds, getting fouls, getting three-pointers, getting layups, and really just taking uh, the pressure and putting it to Duke because that was their bread and butter. They got out-rebounded. UNC out-rebounded Duke 50-41. to They had 17 offensive rebounds, and – it, fe- it felt like at times that, you know, again, two or three or four of them would come on a particular possession that would end in points. Yeah. And, and I mean, their offensive rebounding rate, UNC was, it was 40%. And, and this has not been a UNC team like, like UNC teams in the past where 40% was their average. <clears throat> that was uh, that, that number was way more than UNC usually gets. And most of it was Armando Baycott who ends the game with 21, re- like, man, he was a wrecking machine. 21 rebounds. Today's the day when I finally admit that Armando Baycott was really freaking good this season. And and he's got yeah. he has one more game to play, but um, but man, he he was a force inside the season for Carolina. I mean, they've got I, I'm not a Carolina fan, I'm not looking at their boards today or anything, but they have to be so proud of of how much he's come along this season in his rebounding. He's like the whole game, I thought. Man, why can't why can't Duke go after him a little bit? Try to get him in a little more foul trouble. He does end up fouling out, but uh, how much more useful would it have been if he had fouled out five or six minutes earlier than he did? Yeah. Oh right. man. And, and and I just thought, I mean, this has to go in the bad, but to some extent, it's it's full credit to UNC. I thought the big plays went their way. The 50-50 balls went there. There there were so many times that there were balls where I'm like, okay, who's going to get that? <clears throat> and it was always a Carolina player who got. It. By the way, my my voice is awful because I was screaming so much yesterday. Yeah, it, I I I don't know if you can tell that I feel uh, completely physically and uh, ver- like vocally drained today. I mean, I think that's all of us, right? Like I I was I was cheering at a game, and I, I don't even remember. I was in Mexico City a week ago. I was in Orlando a week ago. I was in Doha yesterday, and my voice feels like. It has yeah, Donald, gone through several continents. Donald, how are you alive right now? Uh, I slept. I actually You've been got through a lot, sleep. man. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna, a, at the end of this week. because because I'm only going to end up having you know stayed in in New Orleans for one night, and because the drive from New Orleans to Atlanta is so long, I'm going to end up spending more time in the car on this trip than I think I did actually in New Orleans. I, in I, New I Orleans, know. yeah, yeah. But but if I can, can I? I want to get back to this notion of. Carolina getting the 50-50 balls, Carolina making, making the plays. Um, so it, it, it is credit to them. It, it seemed to me like every time they needed to have, make something happen, they did. And every time there was a, a play where you're like, oh, how is this one going to turn out? <clears throat> it turned out helping Carolina. I, I go back to, I think, one of the biggest plays in the game. I mean, obviously, the biggest plays in the game are in the final you know, three, four minutes. But one of the biggest plays in the game came with 10 minutes left. The game was tied at 55 and there's a ball that's bouncing like along the baseline and Paulo goes to save it um, and throws it back in. Uh, he could kind of see where he was throwing it. And I, I think he was trying to throw it off of Armando Baycott, but instead he threw it right to Armando Baycott. Baycott goes up and, and immediately makes the basket and, and got fouled by Mark Williams on the play. And that was Mark mm-hmm. Williams fourth foul. I mean, Kill, to say that's a killer play, it's it's a three point play for Carolina. It's a it's a fourth foul on Mark Williams, and uh, you know it it breaks the rule. There there is a cardinal rule 
on the defensive end. If you're saving a ball and it's going out of bounds, you don't throw it back under your own basket. You throw it anywhere else. And, and Paulo, unfortunately, I don't know. You know, I'm not, he's, he's <laughs> basically the worst outcome that happened. It, it was right. Right. But there were, there were several other plays like that where like, you know, it was one of these 50, 50 balls and the ball's bouncing around. And then suddenly a Carolina guy would grab it and throw it out to the three point line for Caleb Love or Brady Manick for a wide open three or 50, 50 ball. And it would bat around and suddenly a Carolina guy would get it. And they're racing the other way to get a layup. It just felt like all those plays that could go either way went Carolina's way again and again and again. And Jason, that is not for lack of hustle or effort or any of those intangibles on Duke side. It's just, it's just the, the luck factor, I think, kind of chimed in there. Like, again, the Paulo Bancaro play where you talked about he went out of bounds, he tried to save a ball, save a ball. The hustle that he had to get to that point, I mean, he, he, he ran like 20 feet to try and jump out of bounds to save that ball. And it just so happens to go to Armando Baycott. Like it, the luck in this game at certain points just seemed like it was on UNC side. And those little things, it wasn't because they wanted it more or anything like that. Both teams wanted it the same. It's just the ball was rolling in a different direction every single time. And that's the most frustrating part about it. Is I, I think there was another one where um, the ball went out of bounds. And I think both Trevor Keels and AJ Griffin went after it and they both Kind they of saved it off it. each other, yeah. They yeah. saved it off each other, um, and it went out of bounds. And then there was another one where Jeremy Roach did something similar. He threw it, it bounced off of someone's knee and into the hands of Brady Manick, who launches a three and makes it. And you're just like, what? Like, what do you have to do to make like like that? Is not usually when we talk about hustle plays and 50-50 balls. It's about how a team wanted it more than the other. This was not the case last night. The luck factor is what really, really hurt. Uh, and made this game so frustrating for us. All right, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room as well. Go ahead. Uh, because there are people out there listening to this podcast who are cursing under their breath and they're saying, how can you not talk about the officials? How can you not talk about the refs? And, and I'm going to preface this the way I always do, which is I'm not saying Duke lost because of the refs. Duke should have However. been in position. <laughs> right. Well, Duke, Duke should have been in position. Duke should have been good enough so that the refs don't factor into it. That said, the refs were three shades of awful last night. The Carolina players repeatedly, repeatedly just dove into the Duke guys, uh, initiating the contact, and they, they weren't, you know, Armando Baycott did it again and again. Um, uh, R.J. Davis, the, the foul on Jeremy Roach with one minute left, where R.J. Awful. Davis goes to the line, is an abysmal call by the officials. And, and here's the reason why. Uh, yes, there is contact. The Carolina players were initiating contact in an effort to get to the foul line, not to not to make a move and wait, make their shot. It was uh, for for the refs to do that with one minute left and and, uh, you know, help determine the outcome of the game was unconscionable. It's just wrong. Carolina wasn't trying to make the shot. They're trying to get to the free throw line. And I hate it when the refs award that BS. And by the way, don't even get me started on the way college refs love, I mean, love to call, oh, the player was on the floor, no shot. It, it, uh, they did that to Duke on several occasions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Trevor Keels in the final minute, I think, had a shot where he, he's going up. The Carolina player swipes at him. When the Carolina player made contact with Trevor Keels' body, Trevor Keels was still on the floor, but he was in the process of going up for his shot. And the ref said, no, 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 that shot doesn't count. We're going to send him to the line instead where he hit one out of two. Um, instead of giving him a three-point play, they love to make that call 
to show how much in charge they are. And, oh, no, I saw the foul seconds before this guy took the shot. What they're doing is they're rewarding the defense for making a, for breaking the rules and making a bad play. It's offensive. It's wrong. I hate that they do it. The NBA does it right. And I'm not saying college should have the full NBA continuation where guys get two steps and stuff like that. But the, the fact but that Trevor these Keels was in his, in his upward motion when that foul occurred. Exactly. Was, his feet were on the ground, but he was jumping. He just hadn't jumped yet. And I they think that's, love, that's the travesty. They love being dramatic and being able to wave the basket off and go, no, no, no. He was on the, on the ground. Like, oh, isn't it wonderful that I'm rewarding the defense for breaking the rules? It's wrong. I will say, Jason, that as, as frustrating as, as some of those calls were, there were just as many stupid calls that went Duke's way last night. And I, that, disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I, it, it, was, it was probably, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it was harder to tell because you were sitting in the middle of the Duke section where the reaction was going to be more dramatic. Being, some, being in, in more neutral territory, because you can tell, I think you actually can tell, if you're in a stadium where you've got roughly equal numbers of, of both fan bases, you can tell which fan base is getting screwed more because of the, like, the, the groans like the and the size stuff. of the reaction mm-hmm. from the refs, the Carolina fans, there were a handful of calls last night where I think Paulo got a couple foul calls, like where he was able to go to the line where there was barely any contact. And I thought the Carolina fans were just as upset as the Duke fans were last night. The problem like the difference was, and the reason it stands out is that the calls that went Duke's way happened earlier in the game. Like there was the yeah, stretch at the yeah. beginning where, where Mark Williams gets the two fouls. Then Theo John gets in and, call, and gets called for a couple all of which were legitimate fouls, I believe. And I think the refs looked up at the scoreboard and were like, wow. Dude, I think the foul differential at the beginning of the game was, was like five nothing. Yeah. And they were like, crap, we got to call a few fouls on Carolina. And, and think- they called a few phantom calls on, on UNC like midway through the first half on, on Manic and a couple of the other guys. So I think the refereeing was bad last night because it was inconsistent. There, were, there was contact that wasn't called and there was – and there was no contact that, that became fouls a few times at both ends. But unfortunately, it did go like, or I guess for, for the refs, it was I late. think it did go both ways. The problem was for Duke is that it came late in the game. Well, and the other problem was Duke didn't hit their free throws. Yes. And, and, well, he- and say what you want, like to your point, say what you want about getting bad foul calls. You can make shots. And, yeah. And, yeah. and Duke could have over. Duke, we know, I, I still believe, despite how well Armando Baycott played, despite how well um, Caleb, Caleb Love. Love played and, and, and the kind of shots that he was making, I still believe that duke was the was the better team than unc this season the the metrics prior to this game told you so i thought the eye test told you so and and i really think duke was still as they were before the game like a four or five point favorite they would still be a four or five point favorite today if if they were playing again next week duke just didn't hit their shots last night i will say there was one that you that you did not mention that i thought was probably arguably the biggest game changer and that is the foul that the fourth foul that Theo John picked up against Armando Baycott, where Armando Baycott not only initiated contact, but initiated with his elbow to the neck region. Oh, they yeah, reviewed that was the bad. play. They reviewed the play and said and basically said because they called the I, I couldn't hear the what they said on TV. But basically, Theo John did not initiate the contact. He was driven into and then got the foul call, but they couldn't overturn the foul on him. They can only assess a foul on Armando Baycott, and they decided not to do that. So not only did Theo John pick up his fourth foul, the, uh, Armando Baycott did not pick up his third. And if he had picked up his third foul, this was with what, I think like five minutes left in the first half. In the first half, yeah. He would have sat the whole rest of the first half with three fouls. He also would have had to have been more careful the rest of the game. And he might have been or either held out for stretches of the second half or just not being able to do his full thing uh, 
in the second half. And I think that really changed the game because especially on defense, when he was grabbing 21 rebounds, he wouldn't have had that opportunity to do so. And some of those rebounds with him not being in the game, UNC was a much different team. If he's not in the ball game, maybe Duke has a better chance. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it was just, there's so many things about this that, that could have gone better for, I mean, look, Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, Trevor, and uh, A.J. Griffin, sorry, combined to go seven for 32 from the floor. That's 21% from our three starting guards. Uh, Trevor Keels was really the only one of our starting guards who could make a bucket. And it's not like Trevor Keels was shooting lights out. It, it, was, it, it was an incredibly frustrating game. But again, you got to give full credit to Carolina. Look, in the first few minutes of the second half, Duke went up seven. And, and you felt like they were about to run away. And Carolina promptly scored 13 points in a row. 13 nothing run. Duke went in, in a span of like two minutes. Duke went, went from up seven to down six. And it was, it was, all, it was all Caleb Love. Caleb Love had 10, point, 10 of those 13 points. Um, he hit two huge three-pointers. He drove to the basket for a couple fairly easy. You know, I said there were a couple times that, that, they, got, that, that they got easy looks at the rim, and, and they were both – Caleb Love did that at that, at that moment. The, the bottom line is Carolina made the winning plays. Uh, winning, like I said, winning time came for them a couple different times during this game, once with 15 minutes left when Duke was up seven, and then down the stretch. They just repeatedly – made the plays that mattered and, and Duke struggled to make them either at the free throw line or, or in the field or, or getting the key stop. I can't even tell you how many times in the final two minutes I was like, all right, this is the month we, we if we get a stop here, it's all going to happen. And, uh, and, and it never happened. Um, and that's why the season and coach K's career are over. Can we spend a couple minutes Donald's because we're, we're, we're at the end here. I think we've been, we've been going for a, for a good while can we just spend a couple minutes kind of reflecting on how cool this whole experience was? Do you mind, do you mind if I do that? No, please, please indulge. I, I, I was having a, a thought yesterday after the game. I, I normally I've had, I've had sort of ends of the season before where I've like cried admittedly about, um, about the end of the, about the end of the basketball season, not just because Duke is out and they're my favorite team, but because, you know, it's a, it's a whole journey. And, and since we've, been doing this show it's become even more of a journey because now not only is it me but i share it with the two of you and i share it with all the listeners uh jason and i had a another one of our sort of interesting deep conversations we were having yesterday in the car was about how much we recognize especially this season what the what the podcast means and what what this community means to each other uh and and to all the people that (laughs) join in and listen to us and and email us and, and we we I, at least I, I'll speak for myself uh, and you two can, can agree with me if you want that I, I'm deeply appreciative of, of how much people care and about how, um, you know, about what a community, not just the Duke basketball fandom is, but what we have created in like our little corner of it. And, and it really, uh, it was, that was really like flowing over me last night. And I managed to not get so, uh, I managed to get not nearly as emotional about the end of the Coach K era because I was like, you know what? We get to we get to keep going and, and we have this and there's an element of it's not the destination, it's the journey that that really um, that really brought me a lot of comfort and joy last night. You know, and, and I want to say how much how lucky I think the three of us are to have this community that has embraced us the way they have. I know there are a lot of people we've been getting emails 
uh, a flood, a torrent of emails from people who say, oh, I just started listening three months ago, six months ago, maybe a year ago. People who've, who are fairly new to the podcast, considering we've been around here since 2015. Uh, and look, we see it in our download numbers, which are which have been shocking <laughs> over the past month. Yeah. Just a, a, a stratospheric number. I never imagined we would have this many people listening. But I wanted to relay a quick story of what I did pregame and, uh, and just how, how special this community of folks is. So someone who's a fan of the podcast, uh, uh, Bobby Rosenblum, uh, he, he's a guy who lives in Atlanta. He and I have connected a little bit because he wrote, he wrote to the podcast and said he liked it. And I, I sort of, rec- you know, I recognize that he runs in the same kind of circles that I do. It turns out, even though I'd never met him before, his kids went to the same high school as my kids. Um, we know a lot of the same people. We go to the same temple. <laughs> he lives like literally like two or three miles from my house. Uh, Bobby Rosenblum um, is, is part of the, the Duke Legacy um, group, which, which is uh, a series of folks who, who've really dug deep to support Duke athletics. And Bobby invited me and my son to come join him at the Legacy event right before the, the Final Four in the team hotel. And uh, I, I, it was great meeting him. And, and we spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking and just connecting and, and bonding over our shared love of Duke basketball. But then Bobby started sort of going around the room and grabbing people and bringing them over to meet me. I want to be clear. I'm not a celebrity. I, I'm not an expert. I'm no more than any one of the rest of you. But I realized, as, and Bobby would, he'd say, he'd say, oh, I want you to meet someone. This is Jason. And people would be like, oh, my God, I know, you know, I know you. I listen to your podcast. People don't listen. People don't connect with us because we're smarter than they are, because we know basketball better than they do. I don't think any of the three of us pretends to be some special expert. Nope. What we are, though, and what, we, what we've been so lucky to have is people feel connected because they are fans the way we are fans, and they hear our fandom. And, and there's, there's an element of, like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like when I say the community, I like sharing the like deeply weird passion that we have <laughs> right, exactly. for like watching 19 <laughs> right. year old play sports. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a, there's an element of lunacy to being a sports fan in general about, you know, you're just watching the achievements of others. Yep. It's especially bad when you're watching college sports. <laughs> and, and I recognize all of that absurdity. I had to leave. I was in, uh, I, I think I told you all I was in New York last weekend uh, when I watched the elite eight game and I was at a birthday party for my brother and I left the party to go watch the game. Uh, and it was like a sit down, like dinner thing. It was a big group. So it didn't make a huge difference that I wasn't there. But I basically was like, sorry, guys, I got to leave this like otherwise nice, respectable adult event to go watch a sporting event like on the side because like this is this is my thing. And you know what? I'm really happy about it. It's totally cool. And I'm glad that that I have th- this group of people to share that with. But 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 to, to wrap up my story and, and my thought on all this was as I was sitting there chatting with these folks, I recognized that what the three of us do is we're having a conversation with thousands of people. And, and it's unfortunate that the three of us are doing all the talking and they're doing the listening, but we're all sharing this together. And, and we're just, all of us are incredibly lucky to have this community and, and have this shared passion and interest in, in this, in this weird freaky thing as, as Sam talks about. And, and for all the people out there, like I say, who are new to the podcast, Keep on, continue listening, continue interacting with us, sending us those emails. We're going to figure out more and more ways of bringing you all into the conversation. But I, 
uh, you know, again, my experience at the Final Four, I think the thing that I'll remember the most, as great as the game was, as much fun as it was watching the players walking around and being a part of that stuff inside the arena, I think the thing I take away the most is how much all of us feel connected to this team, this program. And I think, I really hope that lasts beyond Coach K and lasts beyond the season. And, and I've had, it, not, to get, not to get too deep into it, I've had a, uh, a, a pretty uh, crazy sort of personal life month. And uh, a lot of this kind of stuff has really, um, has really helped me through, through some of the, the tough things. Uh, but but uh, and that, that's happened repeatedly through the show. When we started the show, I think I've told this story before. I had been laid off from my job like a month before uh, we started doing this podcast. And uh, part of, you know, part of this whole thing has helped me kind of get through some of the tough stuff. I thought at certain points um, during the last year that I might not be able to continue doing the show for, for a variety of reasons. And now I'm like, man, I feel, I feel energized and, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to taking this show into the, into the John Shire era, because I did not know when we started how long it would last or like, like how long coach K is going to last. I'd say coach K lasted longer than I thought he would as of, as of early 2014. And I think the DBR podcast is lasting longer than I thought it would as of early 2014. Absolutely. Hey, I, 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 when we first started this guys, I told you that 98% of podcasts do not make it beyond seven episodes. And here we are on episode 412. Um, seven years, seven years. We're in this. seven years. Yeah. We've gone seven years, not seven episodes. And, and really just from me, I, I think, all of this, like I, I was so sad last night that the ride was over because despite the ups and downs, this ride was awesome to be a part of. Like, I, I think all of us never wanted this ride to end for a various, you know, variety of reasons. But the fact was this ride was fun being able to, you know, come on and talk with you guys, being able to text with my best friends, every single game, every single who, you know, every single roll of the ball, we were talking about it. You, the listeners out there, were telling us their perspective. People on the on the DVR forums are telling us their perspective. This community is incredible. It, it's nothing short of amazing. And we, you know, I'm I'm almost forty. We've only had one Duke coach in my lifetime. We've only had one Duke coach in Sam's lifetime. We're going to enter this new world, uncharted territory for a lot of us together. And I, and like Sam, I feel energized about that. I feel sad that this ride is over and we'll talk about the legacy of coach K and everything else. We have plenty of content to come over the next days and weeks, but for now, this ride right here was so special. And I'm glad that we, the three of us were able to share a piece of this together. And I'm glad that we were able to share it with our listeners and everyone out there in that community. It, everything is, is a reunion when it comes to Duke basketball and it has not been more evident than this last month. Donald, before you sign off, just one more plug for the Carpe Diem Coffee and Tea Company here in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> Folks, this is the official, this is the official coffee shop of Duke Basketball Report podcast. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a haul. In fact, Donald, we got to go because we got to get Sam to his airplane. Yes. <laughs> we're, so we're <running> late. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me let me break this down again. In the coming days and weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Coach K's legacy. What's next for this group of Blue Devils? The transition to the Shire era, another recruiting class. We have the stats game we have to recap, and we have the rest of Return to Glory coming very, very soon. So much for us to discuss, but so we will react on everything after that. We're going to get out of here so Jason and Sam can get back on the road 
And for those of you to properly collect your thoughts and everything, once you have those thoughts compiled or you have questions about the future of the program, things that we can answer, you know what to do. Send them to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We really, really appreciate all of you who have emailed throughout the last couple of weeks and throughout this year. Uh, Take some of your thoughts to the DBR forums where you can mingle with Duke fans in the best neighborhood online pub anywhere on the planet. That is at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. So for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. And now it is time for the Duke band for the last time on this 2021-22 season to take us out and take us home. Keep listening, folks. We will be here and we want you to join us.